Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In the drawing room, a group of suspects gathered. The detective has solved the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. <laughs> You'll never catch me. The butler darted to his getaway car. But what he didn't know is this is a Nissan sales event ad. Wait, what? And his car is no match for the detective's Nissan Rogue or its standard VC turbo engine. Save on one of your own at the Nissan Thrill of the Drive sales event. Now get 0% APR financing for 36 months on select models. Availability is limited. For well-qualified buyers, 0% APR financing for 36 months available on new 2023 Altima Rogue and Pathfinder when financed through NMAC. Must take delivery from new dealer stock. 36 months financing at $27.78 per month per thousand financed. Actual down payment may vary subject to residency restrictions and NMAC credit approval. Not all buyers qualify. Dealer contribution may affect actual price set by dealer. Contact dealer for details. Offer ends 2 You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we've got a real treat for you. An absolute legend of the blues, Buddy Guy, live in the studio. Plus, we're going to review the number one debuting album by rapper Nas and the latest from former No Doubt frontwoman Gwen Stefani. So take a nice and easy Leave the chorus in the pit Don't let your mind go so straight Like a lot of my friends did Following that side 
Yes, Greg, it's a new year. We have some new stations adding us. When they do so, we like to say hello to them and welcome them with a little bit of rock and roll from their area. In the state of Iowa, we have been added in Cedar Rapids, Fort Dodge, Iowa City, home of Gabe's Oasis, and Des Moines. Uh, Tommy Bolin, maybe best known as the second guitarist in uh, in Deep Purple, came on board midway through, but uh, did some fine solo recording there, too. Cursive is from Omaha, Nebraska, and Omaha Public Radio has added us. We both thought Cursive's last album was one of the best of 2006. And uh, Lexington, Kentucky, W-U-K-Y. Uh, and you you love Paul Kay, and he's living there now, is that right? Yes, uh, Detroit native who moved to Lexington uh, years ago and continuing to make great music there. Well, welcome aboard. Thanks for airing us. Extended clip and body them all day. Roll at every station, wreck the DJ. Roll at every station, wreck the DJ. If hip hop should die before I wait, I load an extended clip and body them all day. Roll at every station, wreck the DJ. Roll at a station, wreck the DJ. If you're wondering if you've heard that song before, you'd be right. Not only is it the title track from the new Nas album, Hip Hop is Dead, it's the riff from Iron Butterfly's 1968 classic, Inagata Davida. Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you, could not be more obvious in some ways than Nas, and in a lot of ways that's uh, been one of his issues in the last decade plus. Nas made one of the great hip-hop debuts of all time in 1994, Illmatic, when he was merely 20 years old. Considered the new voice, the new face of New York City hip-hop at a time when California gangster rap was all the rage, Nazir Jones reestablished New York City hip-hop with Illmatic in 94. And that's been both the boon and the bane of his career. It's, uh, it's amazing to have a debut album of that quality. It's also one of the toughest things in, in music to follow it up. What do you do for an encore after you've made one of the great debuts of all time? Nas has been wrestling with that issue ever since. He really didn't get the sizzle back into his career until a few years ago when he got into a bit of a feud with Jay-Z, the other icon of New York City rap. Nas responded to a Jay-Z's dissing with a track called Ether off the Stillmatic record a few years ago, and suddenly people started paying attention to Nas again. The war of words went back and forth for a few more years. Jay-Z finally kissed and made up, said, hey man, we're the two best rappers in New York City. We should be together. We shouldn't be feuding. We don't want to turn this into another Tupac and Biggie thing uh, that ends up in gunplay. Why don't you join my label? And as a result, Nas has gotten more hype behind Hip Hop is Dead than any album since his debut album in 94, which is a good thing for, for Nas. The key track for this new record is his collaboration with Jay-Z, something that everybody's been waiting for. It's called Black Republican. It's Jay-Z and Nas together for the first time on Sound Opinions. I know you can feel the magic, baby. Turn my fucking lights down. Let's go. What up? Though, I mean, it's what you expected, ain't it? <laughs> Let's go. Uh, uh, uh. Turn the music up uh, in the headphones. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You just come out of nowhere. Feel like a black public money I got coming in. Can't turn my back on the hood. I got love for them. Can't clean my act. 
good, too much talking up. Nah. Probably in the back of the uh, hook. I'm like, I feel like a black militant taking over the government. Can't turn my back on the hood, too much love for them. Nah. Can't clean my act up for good, too much thugging them. Probably in the back of the hood. I'm like, get this. I'm back in the hood. They like hey nines, uh, blowing on perp, reflecting on their lives. Uh, couple of fat cats, couple of AIs, uh, dreaming of fly shit instead of them gray skies. Gray fives, hey dies, wishing I rain dies. Pitch sling pies and niggas they sing why. Uh, Guess they ain't strong enough to handle their jail time. Weak minds keep trying, follow the street signs. I'm standing on the roof of my building. I'm feeling the whirlwind of beef I inhale it. Just like an acrobat, ready to hurl myself through the hoops of fire, sipping 80 proof, bulletproof under my attire. Could it be the forces of darkness against hood angels of good that form street politics? Makes a sweet, honest kid turn illegal for commerce to get his feet out of them converse. That's my word. That's Black Republican by Nas, debuted at number one a week ago on the Billboard album charts. Uh, Greg, it's interesting because in recent years, a good business move for many hip-hop artists has been to drop an album either the first or second week of the new year or the last week of, of the old year and because uh, there's nothing else is coming out. And so they make a big splash. And uh, Nas was guaranteed a big splash anyway because people are still expecting him after all these years to live up to Illmatic, which was an undeniably great hip-hop record and which he's been uh, coasting on the fumes of ever since. We had Stillmatic. We had <laughs> From Illmatic to Stillmatic. We had the Lost Tapes. And here he's doing something different. This is in large part a concept album, and Black Republican I think is a, is a key track there because what he's rapping about and joined by Jay-Z, these two guys are guilty of this, and they're kind of owning up to it. They're saying hip-hop has gone pop. It's gone soft. Yeah, we were part of the problem. It's lost its way. It's lost its guts. Uh, this is all over a sample, I might add, from uh, part of the instrumental track from The Godfather 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but at the same time, they're saying, we love being these major players and these millionaires and these people who are way cooler and possibly more violent and dangerous than you ever are. But boy, it's too bad what it's done to our art form. And I got to say, the rest of the record, there's not much that makes you say hip-hop is alive and well. Certainly on, on this <laughs> record. I mean, you and I had plenty of records in the last year that we loved, you know, Lupe Fiasco and Rhymefest. I like the Roots record. There's not much here, aside from this guy's obvious rapping talents that make me say, wow, hip-hop is going somewhere new and dangerous. I wouldn't say hip-hop is dead, as he did, you know, intentionally, controversially with the title, but I would say it's on life support, and he ain't helping it, and especially, I'm a fan of Will I Am. I defend him. He produced three tracks here, but there's one called Who Killed It, where Nas is playing this kind of character, inhabiting, I kid you not, I think he's going for Edward G. Robinson, yeah. but he's achieving Chief Wiggum from, <laughs> from The Simpsons. Look here, she. Pretty Mike Shank, Two-Face Al, over some gals. Found a body dead in the ass. Death by strangulation, microphone called a dirty bride. Guess I never play it again, sham. Damn, that was my jam. Now she's on the lamb. She made it out with 200 grand. What a scam. I don't know what this is about. This is a trash at record as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, the obvious sample for the Iron Butterfly slash Hip Hop is Dead song is an example, I think, of what's been wrong with Nas in the last decade. Nas is a brilliant, brilliant rapper. Great feel for language, great feel for syntax, great feel for flow, but he has a tin ear when it comes to hooks. He's, <laughs> he's had some god-awful pop song-type crossover attempts in recent years. Kenny Loggins, Tears for Fears, oh, Eurythmics. Yeah, yeah. He's used these kind of really obvious samples on his records to try to cross over. I think the Iron Butterfly riff is equally egregious. The guy just doesn't have a feel for that kind of stuff at all. He's more about the purity of hip-hop. Yes, 
two turntables and a microphone. That's what this guy sort of embodied in 94 with Elmatic. And he's really never gotten back to that since. He's trying to play this kind of weird crossover game. The fact that Jay-Z's hanging around on this album doesn't help because Jay-Z is the king of selling out and crossover and, and, you know, let's write the pop riff in the middle of the rap that's really not saying anything. Jay-Z does that very well. Nas does not. And at 33, it's hard to believe, but this guy does sound sort of washed up. Well, we rate things on Sound Opinions if you're just joining us by the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. I call it a trash it. You've got it at... Boy, it's hard for me to imagine me listening to this record ever again. <laughs> I, I don't hear anything on here that I want to hear that much again, so See, I, have I to thought give you it were going to pull your also. punch. All right, good, good, good for you for taking a stand. Number one record in the country, by the way, so what do we know, right? Yeah, what, uh, what? You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRigatis. And we're sitting here with Buddy Guy, one of the great blues guitarists of all time. Absolutely. Greg, if you want to draw the line from Sun House, from John Lee Hooker, from Muddy Waters, to Clapton, Beck, uh, all the guitar heroes of the 60s and 70s up to the present, there's only one guy. And not only is he (laughs) master of the electric Fender Stratocaster, not only is he master of the acoustic blues guitar, he's a club owner. You name it, Buddy Guy's done it. Buddy is about to uh, launch uh, a month worth of shows at his club, Buddy Guy's Legends, on the south side. When, when, you, op- when you came to Chicago in, in 57, you literally could not walk 50 feet and not run into a blues club in the general neck of the woods that you're at now. What is the blues scene? What is the club scene in Chicago like? How, do, how would you compare it now to what it was like when you first came here in, in the 50s? Well, let's put it like this. The clubs is like the blues players. If you had to, as a matter of fact, the last time I talked to you guys, I could, you could, I could answer you the hand was half full. The hand is not even half full anymore, man. We just lost, what, a little Milton, uh, Robert Jr. Lockwood. I could go on, Gatemouth Brown and all that, and the clubs are doing the same thing. They're disappearing just like we are, you know. And our music, the blues music, I should say, is not being heard and influencing a lot of young people like I would like to see it because a lot of big stations won't even think about playing a blues record. Not Buddy Guy, it's just anybody blues record anymore, you know. They send to whatever, making a lot of money, you know. And I've seen the time we only had AM stations. You could just take a dub up there and get it played, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't do that no more unless you got a pocket full of money, I guess, you know, you can get it played. But you're still playing to a lot of people on the road, buddy. I mean, at your club, it's packed. When you're on the road, thousands and thousands of people come to see you play. You're still uh, a tremendous uh, live attraction. But I guess what you're saying is that maybe the next generation, you're not seeing the next generation of blues people that can sort of do do that kind of business on the road because they're not getting radio airplay? Well, I, I think uh, the young people now is uh, looking for role models who making a lot of money. You know, actually, my children didn't know who I was until they got 21 and walked in Checkerboard and Legends, and all of them bust out and cried. to Dad, I didn't know you could do that because I don't mm-hmm. do this at home, you know. <laughs> and you didn't see uh, John Lee Hooker or Muddy or B.B. on television on some of these primetime shows where these young people can see it and say, well, wow, maybe I will want to play like B.B. King or... Uh, some of the other great blues guitar players that are no longer with us, and he's still around. But you, know, you don't see that. 
And when I learned how to play guitar, I learned how to play for the love of music. Young people now are learning how to play for love of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you can understand that. Absolutely. Well, you, you've got a guitar in your hand, and you've got uh, Rick Hall from your band here with you as well. Yes. Uh, how about playing some songs for us? Sure. Thank you. We're gonna, I'm going to do one was uh, done by the late Sun House, who taught Muddy Waters a lot of stuff. And I put it on one of my albums. I think it's one of the Sweet Tea albums out of Mississippi. It's called Louise McGee. See a little girl out there People you know they call her Louise McGee See a little girl out there You know they call her Louise McGee Oh, I want you to do me a favor And man, please shake her little hand for me When I get up in the morning, you know I have the blues three different ways. When I get up in the morning, you know I have the blues three different ways. You know I have two minds to leave People I don't have but one mind That make me stay Look out That little girl out there, I say, man, you know they call her Louise McGee. You see that little girl out there, I say, man, 
though they called her Louise McGee. you to do me a favor and please shake her little hand for me man that is great oh, stuff uh, that is buddy guy doing sunhouses louise mcgee you're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to be right back with Buddy Guy live in studio after this break. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Sun-Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune, and we are sitting here with the great Buddy Guy. You're a towering giant on the electric guitar, but one of the things about having you come to our studio and play acoustically is we can really get inside the music in a way. I love everything Buddy does, but the, the acoustic thing is special, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know I know you've got an acoustic in your house. Uh, I've seen I've seen it around. Do you play it much around the house? I mean, do you, do you sort of are you playing the acoustic a lot when you're not at the club and you're not out in front of people a lot? He said or? his kids never hear him. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a bad habit. I don't recommend this to nobody. But you know, I, 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 uh, when I'm home, I listen to a lot of spiritual, mm-hmm. and I play by ear. And uh, when I when I'm listening, I can. If I fool with the guitar, I'm gonna get lost. You know, I just have to keep this. And, and, and the older you get, the weaker your brains get, so you can remember that stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. So what I try to do is pick up some of the voices that I hear in spiritual music, and then pick up the guitar. So you're trying to imitate the voices with your guitar. Uh, I learned that from BB King. He said, you know, he when I first met him, he said he was really wanted to learn how to played a Robert Johnson the slide and he never could and he the one invented bending the strings to get as closer to that as you can and so when he came out singing and his voice and his bending the strings was so close together you know he was he was playing like his voice was singing and I just fell in love with that so <laughs> ideally singers could sing a lot of your best solos yeah actually if you hear George Benson's biggest record. Mm-hmm. What was it, Breezing or something like that? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, we was on tour in Europe, and I was the only blues guy on the show in 1967. There was Bonnie Castle, him, Jim Hall, Sarah Vaughn, Count Bass, and we had this big festival going throughout Europe, and I was the only blues cat on it, so I was embarrassed, and I kept, and they kept telling me, man, we want to learn what you got. So I was rooming with George, and he never did sing at that time, and he would stay up all night in the mirror, uh, humming and, and, and playing the guitar. I said, man, go to bed so I can go to sleep. <laughs> and I told him, I said, and the voice you got, why don't you just sing and make a record? And every time I see him now, he reminds me of it. That there you I go. Talk, oh, yeah, I talked to him into that because I was doing a little thing about the way they do that. And I was doing that on the jazz trying to, you know, to, to get with them because I was yeah. playing hot cold blues and everybody else was playing jazz and people were looking at me like, what you doing on this show, you know? You, you mentioned B.B. Um, King and uh, you've got this box set out, Can't Quit the Blues, in which there's a DVD in addition to the three CDs on there. And in the DVD, you talk about being in Baton Rouge and seeing these guys and saying, I want to play like B.B. King, but I want to act like Guitar Slim. Those were the two kind of big influences, it seemed, early on. So we, you've talked a little bit about B.B. King, what was it about Guitar Slim that you wanted to emulate? 
Well, first of all, I didn't know what a Strat was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I went up, to, I think I paid 30 cents or something to see him. And, I, and uh, they wouldn't let uh, the BB or Guitar Slim or Smiley Lewis or Fats Diamond on them come out because it was all small blues club. And as long as they didn't come on the stage, the, the uh, club owner could sell more booze. <laughs> so they would be sitting there saying, don't bring them on yet. You know, let me make a little more money because when they come, you stop buying booze and watch. Mm -hmm. So they would make the band just play, just play. And finally they said, ladies and gentlemen, guitar slim. And I heard the guitar. And I'm sitting there saying, what kind of crap is this, man? I, you know, I didn't pay my 35 cents to see, you know, a record. The band. Being, <laughs> the band and, uh, and the record. I heard the guitar, but yeah. he, I didn't see him. And all of a sudden, this guy walks in the door, you know, like you do your little baby, put him on your shoulders. And when he's two or three years old walking, this guy, big heavyside guy, come in with him on the shoulder, wailing <laughs> his strap, man, with a red suit on and white shoes. And he dropped him on the stage. It's been his head up and dropped him on the stage. And I said, wow, what is this? That's an entrance. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was real wild. And I said, now, I saw B.B. and I saw you. I said, I really want to play like B.B., but I want to act like you. Well, let's have another tune, buddy. What do you think? Okay.
Good morning, let's go, girl. Can I go home? Can I go home with you? Just tell your mother and your father. Oh, girl, I'm a little old schoolboy, too. Very cool. The arrangement you just played of Good Morning Little Schoolgirl, the song has been played a million times, and you kind of hear the same kind of version of that. You've always kind of been experimenting with stuff, and at the same time, the ability for you to sort of play that way was not really appreciated at Chess Records. Um, you said in, in the box set, in the liner notes of the box set, that you didn't feel like you really got a chance to make the record that you wanted to make until 1979, well past the, the Chess years. And we had Andy Summers of the police in here just a few weeks ago. And he says, well, my, you know, I was best buddies with Eric Clapton in the 60s. And I was looking at Eric, and he was looking at me and says, yeah, you stole it all from Buddy Guy, didn't you? And he, Eric Clapton's like, yeah, we did. <laughs> and so, in other words, these guys were watching you in the 60s and, and stealing your style, this kind of explosive guitar style you had. And yet you were on a record label that wouldn't allow you to record the way you wanted to be heard. Did you get into arguments with the Chess Brothers saying, hey, just give me a chance? Or was it a case of these guys were the last word on every subject and it wasn't worth arguing with them? I never was the type of guy to go in on this demand. I just kept hitting those notes and they heard it and they didn't forget it. And uh, they had had hits with Muddy, Walter, Wolf and all those things. They had been successful with that. And they was like sticking to their guns. And I just was going in, like we talked, here now getting ready to play behind Muddy, Walter, Wolf, someone. I'd turn that guitar up and they would hear that and they would they'd use a lot of profane. You know, they would tell me to get that MF out of there, man. <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I didn't get angry, you know, and I just uh, kept it in, and, you know, kept it in, kept it here. Until I went to the clubs, and then I turned it back up, and I was doing it. And I finally went to England in February 1965, and I was doing it. And and every time I see Jeff Beck and Eric, they slept in a van and saw me do that because they said they didn't even have a strat. They didn't think a straddle could play blues. All they, a, a straddle was supposed to play this country and western until they saw me play it. And I just said, "Oh man, I didn't ever think of that. I just thought it was a guitar, you know, just play." Because after I saw Slim with it. That's the first strat I ever saw. I said, man, that's all I want to do, that guitar, because you could drop it. You know, the, the acoustics, if you drop them, they like to crack open. And I saw that strat. I said, man, if you drop that, you just pick it up and keep playing it. Was that violence that you were bringing to the electric guitar in the, in the early, mid-'60s, was that going Obviously, that was going over in the clubs. People loved to hear that. When I came to Chicago, there wasn't one blues player that would stand up and play. And I saw Slim. All of them were sitting out in chairs with music stands, whether mm-hmm. they was reading it or not. You know, <laughs> the, the big thing with these big names on there. If it was uh, Clarence Thomas, they had a CT on there on each side of the music stand. I'm like saying, I don't know how to read one lick, man. What am I going to do? So, And most of the blues clubs had the band. Yeah, I, don't, I know you, you've, probably, you've been to my club, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what a whiskey behind the bar? Sure. Well, that's why they had a chair sitting, and it would, they had a spot there for the band to sit down. And the flap that you goes behind the bar, it would open from the front to the back. When they would call Muddy Wolf, then he would come sit out on that. Mm-hmm. And you would be right here with your drink. 
and looking up at Muddy standing on, on, on the bar drinking. But they all would be sitting in chairs. So I said, wait a minute, I can't read music. And uh, I can't play as well as these guys. But I said, if I stand up and walk down this bar with this 100-foot car that I saw get that slam play with, somebody going to pay attention to me. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> so I would jump off the bar and run out the front door, and they would say, crazy. Well, what is that? You know? <laughs> We're uh, talking to Buddy Guy on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and it's always a treat to have Buddy here. Now, now, Buddy, when you play for us, as we're lucky enough <laughs> to have you do once in a while, um, you know, the music is alive and it's vibrant. And we're talking about lust. We're talking about hate, murder ballads. There's uh, that striving, I want to get out of the streets and to the top. I want to own the world. That's everything that's in hip-hop. Greg and I just uh, did a tribute to James Brown last week, and it was interesting. We looked at one song, The Payback, right? right? And that song alone had like 150 samples. But we so rarely see the blues songs being used as the foundation for hip-hop. You know, you, you don't know about my daughter, do you? Yeah, I do, buddy. I know about Shauna making those hip-hop records, but the listeners might not, so why don't you fill them in? Well, anyway, she... Uh is into the hip-hop, and there's more people know her now than it is me, man. You know? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, yeah, because she's been on this, this BET television and the VH1, and actually she don't she got me on VH1. I had never been on there, which is mm-hmm. about three months ago. She I can't, They came and taped it in Legends. And uh, <laughs> she called me. She was down in Atlanta with Ludacris. She said, Daddy, I was thinking about sampling some music, and I found out if I sample other people's music, I got to pay. <laughs> but say, I think I'm going to start sampling yours, and I don't have to pay. So they called me in to play a, a couple of one track on it, and mm-hmm. I beat them there that morning. I played. Uh, I said, "Let me hear." It. And I was messing with the guitar while I was doing it. When they came in, her and a the producer, they said, "That's it. We don't have to listen no more. Will you do another one?" And so they, they got me on two half tracks on a on the last. I think it's the last CD they put yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to say, uh, speaking of the younger guys and gals who are listening to Buddy's music and influenced by him, uh, you've had a lot of guest stars on the albums that you put out in the last 15 years. Uh, most recently, people like Johnny Lang and John Mayer. And I, I felt story, sorry for John Mayer, actually, because I saw you and him at uh, Farm Aid <laughs> a year ago. And Mayer took a solo, and then Buddy took a solo. And Mayer <laughs> looked like he was in shock after Buddy took his solo. It was kind of like... Is there still a little bit of that old cutting contest bit stuff in your in your heart? You know, back in the early days, guys would try to outdo each other all the time, and you was always always about hey, that. You think that was a good solo? Wait and see what I got. So, like somebody like John Mayer gets up there and he thinks he knows a little bit of blues, and he plays his solo, and then you just kind of setting him up, aren't you? There's a no, little bit of party. No. Come on. No, I'm being <laughs> honest with you. He really can play blues, man. But he's selling so many pop records. You know, I even went to him and said, John, you know, we need this young person like you every once in a while to come along, like Stevie Ray Vaughan did. Yeah. And play blues and open up their ears because. You're not going to see a person my age on, on on music television anymore. If you ain't good looking now, man, you're not going to get on music television. So let's, let's, let's just face it. So I went to him. I said, man, you, you got to do a blues record because he can play this Hendrix and, and, and Stevie Ray mm-hmm. Vaughan just like it is. Matter of fact, I invited him to Farm Aid. He wasn't invited. And I, he called me. He said, if you want Farm Aid, can I play on the same the, the show with you? I said, yeah, I mm-hmm. wouldn't do without you. And uh, Dave Matthews, all of them, you know, but it just, <clears throat> it's just some, something about, 
I guess after you get a certain age now, man, they don't look as I said earlier. They don't they don't look at uh, uh, how good you play no more. It's how good you look. Yeah, mm. yeah. Matter of fact, he's in the paper this morning, and uh, I think he was kissing some girl, and they made a big thing out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, buddy, can you favor us with one more song? That that would be great if you got one more in you. Okay. All right. can't love like I used to because things don't change have changed Oh baby you know I'm not the same Right down here. 
sun going down, moon begin to rise. Sun going down, the moon begin to rise. You know I miss my baby, the tears coming down from my eyes. <laughs> buddy guy on sound opinions rick hall backing him up there from his band he's at uh his club the last january uh, at least in this location for some time all throughout uh the month buddy thank you so much thank you so much and uh without you guys i don't know man we need all the help we can for blues and god bless you man just <laughs> keep playing it and let the people know that we're still here and uh, there's nothing bad about the blues. If you break it down and listen to it, we just talk about everyday life. Yeah, you got it. Buddy guy. Thank you. Honey, I saw you last night. And another man I'm holding you tight. Nobody knows what I feel inside. All I know I just walked away and cried. I got dreams, dreams to remember. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to be right back with a review of the new Gwen Stefani record and a Desert Island jukebox from Jim. I know you said it was just a friend. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Gwen Stefani with her second solo album, Sweet Escape. That was the first single called Wind It Up. It samples, yes indeed, it samples The Sound of Music. Gwen professes to be a big fan of that musical. Stefani's not only a Broadway fan, she is uh, selling records in huge Broadway-style numbers. Previously with the Southern California ska pop band, no doubt, she sold 26 million albums over the previous decade. That wasn't enough for Gwen. Decided to forge a solo career. Love Angel Music Baby sold 7 million copies in 2004. She said, I don't really need those No Doubt guys anymore. I'll make another solo record. Oh, she insists <laughs> they were going concern. Oh, I'm sure they will. You know what? A lot depends on, I'm sure, how the new album does. Sweet Escape just came out. Again, the usual suspects as producers. I mean, some of the biggest names. You've got people like Swizz Beats. You've got people like Pharrell Williams. You've got a collaboration with Keen, the big-selling wimp-pop band out of England. You've got a melange of pop styles on this new record, much in the way that Love Angel Music Baby sampled the best of the best that producers could offer in 2004. The new record does the same for 2006. Let's play a track from the new album before we discuss it further. From the wife of faded rock star Gavin Rosdale, Gwen Stefani, here's a track called Yummy from her new album on Sound Opinions. 
head to toe. You see me, ain't got no patience, so let's go. You see me, look, I'm diadrama. Wanna spend the night, don't bring pajamas. Man, there's so much heat beneath these clothes. You see me, now sweat. Baby, get stupid, jump up, go crazy. Lamb in 3D, worldwide across your TV. P, you crazy, how'd you get this? This sounds like disco Tetris. Do I have time to connect this? Let me check my itinerary. Um, I came back for my spotlight. I disappeared like Houdini. This sounds like disco Tetris. That's my favorite line from that song, Yummy, by Gwen <laughs> Stefani from her second solo album. Uh, I don't know what she's talking about. This is a truly dreadful, 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 despicable, abysmally bad album. I hate this album with the core of my being. I despise this album. And one reason is she is the only one in pop music today who is still playing that horrible Lolita routine that the uh, Disney Club graduates of the late 90s bubblegum pop boom perfected. Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. Except the pathetic thing in Gwen Stefani's case is she is a 37-year-old mom. There are any number of things about her life that she could have sung about that would have been interesting. She she is married to Gavin Rossdale, the, the bozo who used to be in that Nirvana clone band, Bush. And she could sing about being a 30-something mom who was once a part of a punk rock band that once had some credibility because no doubt actually did start as a credible ska punk band before they went so pop. I mean, those would be interesting things to sing about, but to, to, to do this routine where she's pretending to be 16 and she's, you know, being all slutty at the mall and, and you know, she keeps using the word boys again and again and again. I want to show the boys what I've got. You know, it's like, what are you talking about, lady? And it sounds so phony, so canned, and nothing I say matters because it's still going to sell a couple of million copies. I don't understand this phenomenon at all. Jim, I wish this record was as good as you make it sound because uh, <laughs> it's actually, if she had done what you say she's doing, uh, it might have been a little bit more interesting or at least uh, so bad it's good. In this case, I think she kind of did that thing that you're describing on Love, Angel, Music Baby, where she was sort of playing that Lolita role. And here, I think she actually kind of tones it down a little bit. Not and she does she's... sort of talk a little bit about her marriage in songs like Four in the Morning and Wonderful Life. But it is dull, dull, dull. It is just, To me, this is just a very washed-out version of the first solo record, which wasn't that good to begin with. And I totally agree with you. She was playing that you know sort of baby girl Lolita routine. She was intentionally going back to the sort of teenage kind of zest that uh, she might have had when she was 16. She's got that all over here. And, she's still you know, telling us she's an Orange County girl. Yeah, you but, know, And she grew up and her, her life is an e-ticket dream because, you know, Anaheim and she gets e-ticket rides but, at But Disneyland. the point of that song was that, you know, I haven't changed. I'm still that same person, you know. <laughs> but you know what? The previous record at least had some interesting beats on it. This one doesn't even have that on it. The only interesting beat on the record is actually from that song we just played, Yummy. Other than that, there's not much going on here. I expected at least a kind of a, a frothy dance floor kind of pop record from Gwen Stefani. Instead, about half this record is kind of these semi-introspective ballads, but she's not very good at introspection. She, she doesn't really have a lot to say. And I just think it's an incredibly dull, lifeless record. It doesn't even offend me. It's just, 
it's just there. And I think in about well, another month or two, people are going to forget about and it. And I, you know, I mean, covering or sampling uh, "Lonely Goat Herd," you know, I mean, there is nothing cool about the sound of music, and to, and to be putting it on a pop record is just that's the I mean, "Lonely Goat Herd" is actually a more adventurous song than anything on this Gwen <laughs> Stefani record, and I am I will stake my career on that one. Yeah, yodel hoo hoo. Yes. Uh, on sound opinions, we rate things: buy it, burn it, trash it. It sounds for different reasons, as if both of us think this is a trash it record. Is that right? Yes, it is. There's no reason to buy this record. High on a hill was a lonely goat herd. Lay, 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 Loud was the voice of the lonely goat herd. Lay, lay, Folks in a town that was quite remote heard lay, 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 Lusty and clear from the goat herd's throat heard lay, lay, I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. It's time to pop another quarter in the Desert Island jukebox and pick a record that we can't live without. And this week, it's Jim DeRogatis' turn. Well, Greg, you were kind of dissing, or sliding at the very least, in a Gata De Vida by Iron Butterfly earlier in the show when we were talking about how Nas has sampled it for uh, the driving riff in the song Hip Hop is Dead. Title track powering the number one album in America today. This ain't even the first time, Greg, that Nas has used this sample. It originally appeared uh, to power Thief's Theme, which is the single from his 2004 album Streets Disciple. Check one, two. Yo, I'm hot like 95 Fahrenheit on a summer night, tight spot where bodies ride. Rats drape from water drops in the streets, juggin'. Little kids scared cops with red dots. Philosophical gangster with violent priors. Going back like black and white TVs with pliers. Leaning on broke down cars with flat tires. Flash iron on anybody. I think in that case, it was uh, performed by the incredible Bongo Band. And now he's turning actually to Iron Butterfly for the original. In any event, it's the riff that counts. I don't care who's playing it or where it comes from. It is one of the most famous guitar riffs in all of rock history. If you want to get musicological, it's a uh, classic example of what they would call an ostinato. Mm-hmm. And it, it runs throughout the entire 17 minutes and 40-some-odd second version of uh, Inagata De Vida that was released in 68. So Iron Butterfly are these uh, long-haired hippie pot-smoking goobers from uh, <laughs> not even from San Diego, from the suburbs uh, from a town called El Cajon which actually also gave birth to Lester Bangs, the famous rock critic. There was something clearly freaky in the water out there. I've always kind of loved this song at least in principle because it is one of those moments that mark the transition of one form of music into another. So here's these guys they're playing, you know, kind of garage rock and then they get all bluesy and kind of jammed out and psychedelic and you know there's this moment right around 68, 69 with bands like Blue Cheer and Steppenwolf over in the UK, you have Hawkwind. They are forming the basis of heavy metal. Heavy metal is going to come out of this mix of blues and garage rock and psychedelia, and this this new child is going to be born. And Inagata De Vida gives birth to it. It great, horrible, horrible length. You know more than you <laughs> ever want to know. Uh, it's the entire second side of their '68 self-titled album, Iron Butterfly, and that's way too much Inagata De Vida. There's no, no two ways about it. Jim, you are a drummer, and you're yes. going to tell me that. Uh, it's too much of a drum thing? Yes, Ron one? Bushy does a long drum solo in the middle of the track. 
And there's no such thing, Greg, despite being a drummer, there's no such thing as a great rock drum solo. You know, the drums are not a solo instrument. They should, in rock and roll, they should be propelling the beat, and that's what they do best. I don't believe in drum solos. There's a guitar solo, there's a bass solo, there's a drum solo, there's a keyboard <laughs> solo. Somewhere oh around 8 minutes and 45 seconds, they actually throw in a little bit of God rest ye merry gentlemen, for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> I actually am going to play here the less than three-minute single edit version. Because let's face it, you know, they sing the lyrics uh, and introduce the riff at the beginning of the 17-minute version, and then it comes in again at the end, mm-hmm. and in the middle there's a whole lot of nothing. So the <laughs> fact that they could edit down 17-plus minutes to less than three just shows. But damn, the whole thing's about that riff, and it's a great riff. I don't care. Friends of mine own a guitar uh, store out in uh, suburban Chicago here, and they have a, a no smoke on the water, no stairway to heaven rule. Anybody who comes in, wants to try out the guitars, tries to play either of those riffs, they're, they're bounced out. <laughs> they don't want to sell you one of their guitars if you're going to play that. I think they would add Inagata De Vita too, but, you know, hey, it's dumb, it's stupid, it's wonderful, it teaches kids what an ostinato is. Who knows what it's about? I don't know. There's that story, which has since been revealed as apocryphal, that the guys were high on LSD and they were trying to sing in the Garden of Eden, and it came out in Agata de Vida. Uh, a couple of years ago, they put together a best-of CD, and they, they, they kind of debunked that and said, no, it was simply misheard in the headphones and written down the wrong way. There's yet another story, Greg, that they were actually uh, trying to say the Bhagavad Gita, the ancient Sanskrit text, which is sacred to many Hindus. Yeah, who knows? It's not about anything. It's about being dumb and stupid <laughs> and banging your head on the wall, and I think it does that very well, and I think that that's why I, I have no idea where Nas ever heard this, you know, why he turns to it, but hey, he recognized it, turned to it twice. Here's the original Inagata Vita by Iron Butterfly.
Yes, Iron Butterfly, Inagata DeVito, the single mix uh, with maybe a little of the extended <laughs> uh, stuff <laughs> thrown in there. You know, Greg, Iron Butterfly, doomed from the start. They were supposed to play at Woodstock. They got delayed at the airport. Yeah. Never even made it. Too bad, guys. <laughs> What do we got coming up next week, Greg? We've got a killer band in the studio for a live performance and an interview. Peter Buck and Scott McCoy are backup musicians for Robin Hitchcock. That's a hell of a trio. We're also going to be taking uh, calls from our listeners who are going to weigh in with their favorite albums of 2006. Excellent stuff. We've got some thank yous to say on the way out, Greg. Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. We get some legal help from Dino Armiros. Our session with Buddy Guy was engineered by Mary Gaffney. We want to thank uh, Jim Russell and the folks over at American Public Media who are making us bad and nationwide. And most of all, Tori Southside Malatia, our fearless leader. I wonder if Tori's ever sampled in Agata de Vida. <laughs> In the drawing room, a group of suspects gathered. The detective has solved the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. (laughs) You'll never catch me. The butler darted to his getaway car. But what he didn't know is this is a Nissan sales event ad. Wait, what? And his car is no match for the detective's Nissan Rogue or its standard VC turbo engine. Save on one of your own at the Nissan Thrill of the Drive sales event. Now get 0% APR financing for 36 months on select models. Availability is limited. For well-qualified buyers, 0% APR financing for 36 months available on new 2023 Altima Rogue and Pathfinder when financed through NMAC must take delivery from new dealer stock. 36 months financing at $27.78 per month per thousand financed. Actual down payment may vary subject to residency restrictions and NMAC credit approval. Not all buyers qualified. Dealer contribution may affect actual price set by dealer. Contact dealer for details. Offer ends to 28 23